everyone. Welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seske. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Tim Brown, CFO of Dakota. Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. Andrew, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you, but first, let's quickly cover what we're going to chat about broadly, and we'll let you dive right in. I think the key takeaways are going to be all about driving a unique culture during and exiting the pandemic. I think we're also going to be able to cover really what you feel is underestimated in the world, which I'm very excited to dive into. And of course, what Dakota is, what they're trying to tackle, and the way the firm has evolved over the years. First, though, I want to take us back to your early career at EY. Can you walk me through the progression of your time in kind of consulting at EY and into your first uh, private company leadership role? Sure. So I um, went to undergrad uh, in Boston, graduated with a business degree, concentration in accounting, started with Ernst & Young, like many accounting majors, in the Boston office, worked quite a bit uh, across different industries, primarily in financial services. And you know, while certainly appreciated the accounting aspect of it, you know, recognized that that, that was uh, probably not a, a fully uh, career profession, if you will, for me, went back to business school. And leaving business school, uh, worked for Bain Consulting, focused on strategy consulting, spent most of my time based in the US, but actually spent some time based in Europe as well. And as I left Bain, made what was a little bit of an unconventional move to a very early stage startup. At the time I was living in Atlanta, this startup was based there, focused on a, a clean technology uh, that had some promise to you know, transform the way fuels and chemicals were made to more cleaner options. Spent uh, about eight years there, sort of leading strategy and finance efforts on that side. Um, and as that uh, pursuit sort of wound down, uh, ended up at Dakota about four years ago, similar process sort of leading the, the finance and strategy efforts here. So for those who don't know Dakota, it began as a boutique fundraising firm, right? That, uh, you know, the third party marketer with a ton of high energy, but the business has evolved into a unique platform and data source as well. So can you talk about some of the the origins and uh, how you met with the founders of Dakota and really how that entire business has transformed? And then we'll be able to bring that right back into how investment sales as an industry has had to adjust in this current environment. So Dakota started about 15, 16 years ago, as you mentioned, as a raising money for other boutique investment firms. And you know something that very early on Dakota, uh, and continues to this day, is very successful at doing. One of the reasons we've been so successful is that you know our founder is very much a, a data junkie and it has a consistent pursuit of getting high quality data for the sales team and for our business. And as a result, we built a very robust data set of institutional allocators. You know, over the years, we've had a number of firms that have come to us wanting to utilize us to help them raise money. And, and, and one of the challenges with third-party marketing is it's not a scalable business, right? There's a very small number of firms that we can help raise money and do it effectively. So we began to look at other ways that we could help some of these other firms that we really like, but just in a different way of doing it. And, and as a result, uh, Dakota Marketplace was founded or born uh, about three years ago now. So and what is Dakota Marketplace? So Marketplace is a robust platform with a lot of available information on institutional allocators, right? 
what they buy, what they don't buy, what investment vehicles they need to be successful on their platform, what they're invested in today, et cetera. And really the key difference for us versus other platforms that are like it available is that, you know, we kind of have this trademark term, you know, built by fundraisers for fundraisers, right? We, we just take a different approach in terms of, you know, recognizing what information is important and what can be helpful to really help our customer. And our customer is you know, very uniquely a investment salesperson, someone who wakes up every day looking to raise money for the strategies that they represent. So Dakota has raised, for our listeners who don't know, over $40 billion for clients since 2006. I think one of the things that's fundamentally changed just over the last few years, where we say fundraisers, built by fundraisers for fundraisers, I think that person looks a little different. Their job looks a little different today, where what would have been being on the road almost you know every day of the year in meetings went completely virtual. How did that affect the business and your strategy? And then I'd love to dive into how you thought about the leadership in trying to drive the same high energy culture that Dakota has. Yeah, I mean, certainly it was a big adjustment, right? People who were in investment sales up until the pandemic were on the road, you know, if not every week of the year, quite a bit. And you were constantly out, you know, having meetings with potential buyers of your strategies, going to conferences, trade shows, et cetera, to sort of meet potential buyers for your strategies, right? Your, your, you know, your goal is to constantly find people who are interested in your strategy and, and sort of move them through the investment process to ultimately make an allocation. And really overnight, when the pandemic hit, uh, that changed. Travel was you know, essentially halted for quite a period of time. People were not taking in-person meetings. The vast majority of people were not working in offices. And it just required a very quick fundamental shift in terms of how you can continue to be effective in that role. You know, I think our team adapted really well as, as did the industry, right? And just like a lot of industries, right? <laughs> you can't meet live, you meet over Zoom, you meet over sort of some of these other means where you can, you know, not be in the same location, but still have effective discussions. But certainly it's an adjustment, right? If you've spent your entire career on the road all the time, and then all of a sudden you're, you're not able to do that, it's certainly a pretty significant adjustment. And I think for the software side of our business, it actually gave us a little bit of a tailwind, right? Because if you were, again, constantly on the road, and that's how you use those opportunities to meet you know, new and potential buyers for your strategies, you had to find other means, right? And certainly Marketplace was a means that could help sort of bridge that gap from sort of what you were used to to what the current situation was. So Dakota has listed you know, on the website these pillars of know who to call on be a master messenger, have a killer follow-up system, focus on what matters most, walk the eight feet, don't go cowboy, and ask in all caps. How did you come up with these pillars and how do you think that they carried you and your team through some of the more tumultuous times? Obviously, you had the foresight to create you know, this data platform you know, years ahead of the pandemic that really brought and probably supported all of the efforts that you had been making through the pandemic. But I want to kind of shift over to thinking about how listeners can think about creating these types of not only products within their business that will stand uh, the test of time and also be you know adaptive to current market demands, but also the types of personalities that you need and types of character that you need when you're hiring and bringing people on in a more digital environment. 
Yeah, I think culture has been one of those things that's always been very important at Dakota. When I joined about four years ago, there was you know roughly 10 people, many of them who had been at the firm for quite some time. And it was you know very evident from really day one what that culture was. Um, but as our you know businesses started to grow and as we've looked to add really double the size of the team in the last 18, 24 months, so coinciding with the pandemic, it's been very important for us to sort of not only formalize or sort of write down, for lack of a better term, what those cultural components are, as opposed to just sort of people understanding what they are, but for us to really lead with that within our hiring process, right? I think, you know, each firm will have a slightly different culture, right? For the most part, no culture is better than others. I think it's like knowing yourself as a human being, right? It's it's knowing who you are, knowing who you are as a company, knowing what attributes are important to everyone at that company and really helps you identify people who sort of fit well with that and, and also have sort of similar views of the world, if you will, and are likely to be great teammates that you bring on. And I think as we've, you know, like a lot of companies that were doing a lot of hiring during the pandemic, you know, it was a little bit of a, a change getting used to that, right? You, you, know, you can't even bring someone to the office to meet with everyone as part of that hiring process. And I think as we got to really formally documenting sort of what are the key components of our culture, and we lead with it in all of our job descriptions, right? It's really the first couple paragraphs, you know, here's our culture, here's the things that are important to us. You know, if these are things that resonate with you, please let us know, because we think you could be a great addition to the Dakota team. You know, I do a lot of the initial interviews in particular of candidates that we're meeting with, and it's inevitably, you know, culture is one of the first things I brought up. And again, it's one of the things that we like to emphasize. Like, these are the things that are important to us. I think it doesn't mean different things that are you know, important to others may not, you know, there's, there's no sort of good or bad in it, right? It's just really recognizing, you know, what are those components of your culture that are important that you want people to come in and sort of add to and build on. And like I said, for us, it's it's really led to not only a greater degree of success and sort of bringing on new teammates, but also, you know, one of the challenges a lot of companies facing is retaining, and it's really helped us retain employees as well, because we're doing a, a better job up front of, you know, really laying out what's important to us in our culture and, and, and you know, sort of people self-selecting into, into that. So for the aspiring CFO with Excel open on their computer, listening to this while working through their spreadsheets, what is the role of the CFO or the modern CFO in your mind uh, where leadership and driving culture intersect with financial acumen? Yeah, I think you know, use the term modern CFO, right? To me, you know, for most companies, gone are the days where the CFO was the expert in the finance organization, right? I think those are table stakes for any CFO. I think really that modern CFO is is really that true business partner of the CEO and the management team, you know, really helping to lead a lot of different components of the organization, not necessarily just the finance component. And certainly culture is a key component of it, right? A lot of you know, larger organizations will have sort of separate departments, smaller organizations like Dakota that, you know, CFO wear multiple hats. And, and sometimes the, certainly at Dakota, the sort of HR, you know, recruiting aspect is a big part of that, right? So really keeping in mind that importance of culture and, and really using that as a, as a key component of all of that, all of those efforts to bring on additional teammates. So you said, well, first of all, I have to mention that Every once in a while during an episode, I tell listeners, because you've got that great rewind 30 second 
button on your phone or wherever you're listening to this podcast, I would say to pause and rewind and listen to that again. I think that is the perfect definition of the modern CFO, maybe one of the best we've had across all of our shows. So I, I thank you for that, Tim. We also talked a little bit about the relationship you have to have with your CEO. What is the ideal relationship in your mind and what defines a successful modern CFO relationship with the today's CEO? Yeah, I think for a successful partnership, really think of a, a couple of key aspects. One is, you know, how do you become that trusted person for the CEO to really be able to, you know, get things done, handle things that they need taken care of and, and have the confidence in you to be able to do that. I think the other big piece of that that goes along with that is, you know, if you think of many CEOs, they're oftentimes going to come up through a certain part of the organization. They're going to be a product technology person or a sales and marketing person, or they're just going to have natural proclivities towards certain aspects of the business or certain things that they may, quite honestly, just enjoy more than others. And I think in the spirit of true partnership, you know, as the CFO, how do you handle some of those other things, right? How do you handle some of the aspects that maybe isn't their sort of day-to-day focus or things that they want to spend all of their time on? And really for the organization, take care of those aspects, right? And really allow the CEO to focus on, you know, where they feel they can provide the most value. And, you know, as the CFO, try to fill in some of the other pieces where they may not spend their time on a day-to-day basis. What is something that most excites you on the horizon in the next maybe one to three years? Yeah, one of, one of the things that I think is is great about Zakoda is we have a very clear perspective of who our target customer is, right? We, our target customer for all of the products and services we create is an investment salesperson. So a person who wakes up every day and whose job is to raise money for the investment strategies that they represent. And, you know, having a number of people at the firm, including our founder who have been in that industry their entire life. I think we have a very good perspective as to what types of tools, what types of services uh, can help that person be more successful in their job. And one of the things that's exciting to me about Dakota is that we are, you know, we're never short of ideas of other things that we could do, other ways that we could help our customer sort of grow their careers. So what's exciting to me, you know, one years, three years, five years out, is sort of just looking at our product pipeline, seeing what's coming, um, and sort of knowing that there's you know, a, a bounty of ideas that will come after those uh, that will continue to help us continue to add value and, and, and drive value for our customers. That's really exciting. Do you have any advice for CFOs who have great relationship with their CEO who are um, they have endless ideas? How do you internally think about matching and quickly testing what ideas are worth pursuing in the long term? Yeah, I mean, look, there's always there's always an element of prioritization, right? What can make the biggest impact, right? But I think, you know, one of the other things we do well here at Dakota is, you know, this philosophy of what we call it sort of throw your hat over the wall, right? Where it's, it's just try it, right? Not everything has to be sort of a fully baked idea before you're going to try it. So if you have an idea and you have this sort of basics down of it, give it a shot, right? What's the worst thing that happens? It doesn't work, right? You kind of that fail fast methodology. If it doesn't work, move on and try the next idea that's on the list. So um, I think it's one of the things we've done well here. We've done some things that you know haven't been successful. And then we've done some things that have been wildly successful and we double down on those and continue to do more and continue to develop more things like those. So, you know, one of the things having spent, you know, a fair amount of time, never lived there, but spent a fair amount of time just for sort of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley in my prior life, 
you know, there's sort of this methodology of fail fast, right? And I think, you know, that's one of the things at Dakota we really live by, right? Give it a shot. Worst thing that happens, it doesn't work. You know, limit your losses, move on and try something else. Right. And you can entrust your team to do so because you've vetted them across these pillars and uh, kind of from a cultural standpoint, right? So these are people that you can entrust to go out and have the autonomy to go actually try something independently to see if they can, see if there are some members, right? Is that, and it's also people who are comfortable with that, right? I mean, there's you know certain people that would sort of see any failure as, as something to be avoided at all costs. And there's others that, you know, sort of more comfortable with that concept. I want to zoom back out for a minute and talk about one of my favorite questions on the podcast, which is what do you feel is currently being underestimated in the world? And I know we have, I've already talked about this briefly before recording, but I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on this because it really, I think, um, I think you drive home some really interesting points here that would be valuable for uh, CFOs listening or listeners in general. So I'd love to hear your perspective there. Yeah, one of the things that I think uh, may be underestimated in certain circles is really the fundamental change of how people view work and people in particular view, you know, spending time in an office uh, that's occurred over the last you know, couple of years with the pandemic, right? You sort of see these changes in history where there's sort of just different viewpoints just are fundamentally changed and, and then really don't go back to where they were before. And I do think that sort of the way people view work and the way people view particularly working in an office is one of those things that's changed over the last two years. Um, and do you, you still see, you know, a number of these entities that are out there now, a lot of times they those Deadlines have gotten pushed back just due to variance and you know waves, if you will, um, but that are still talking about bringing back their employees to the office and, and, and sort of having them there you know five days a week. And it shall be seen what happens there. But I do think there's going to be some challenges with doing so. Right? If you look at you know the number of you know, number of studies that have been published of you know majorities of people that don't ever see themselves going back to the office on a five day a week basis that have gotten comfortable with not having, you know, long commutes, sitting in traffic or sitting on the subway that, you know, have found that they can be just as effective or more effective working in remote locations. I think it's going to be a challenge to get everyone to come back. And I think the companies that force it, you know, unfortunately are probably going to lose some people as a result. Um, And those people will be looking for more flexible arrangements. You know, I know Dakota was, a company that traditionally was a five day a week in the office, you know, unless you were traveling, of course, for work prior to the pandemic. And, and we've you know, sort of on a, a much more flexible arrangement now. And I think that's going to be what a lot of companies end up doing going forward. I'd say one other point on that, Andrew, I know, you know, at least for our size, we've, we've done a lot of hiring over the last 18, 24 months. Uh, and inevitably, one of the first questions we always get in the interview process is sort of what is our policy there? You know, and, and two years ago, a lot of those questions were sort of born out of the you know, people just not being comfortable being around groups of people, given what was going on. But I think of late, increasingly, it's more people that are, you know, quite honestly looking because they see their company, you know, at least outwardly saying that at some point in the near future, they're going to expect everyone to come back to the office every day. And they're just, that's just not something they're interested in. So I do think there will be, as we hopefully, um, you know, the, the, this pandemic starts winding down and 
things return return closer to normal. I do wonder if that's one of those things that's never going to return to where we were two years ago, right? That sort of many entities will sort of end up with this flexible philosophy where, you know, some days you're in the office, some days you're at home. And as long as you're effective, it works. Is that an optimistic or a pessimistic outlook on the future? I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's more just realism of, you know, things, sometimes things change and they, they don't go back. I think the firms that recognize that, it's an optimistic view, right? Because there will be talent available on the market that maybe wouldn't have been otherwise, that due to their flexible nature, they'll be able to attract. You know, the pessimists might be the firms that are a little bit more rigid uh, in terms of bringing people back and, you know, maybe lose some people as a result. So do you have any final advice for either aspiring or current CFOs looking to mirror some of the effective things that Dakota has done? It seems like there are a number of differentiators from being product and idea led as a team. Uh, it sounds like there's a huge emphasis on really driving home culture that fits both as an organization and finding new people who also fit within that mold. Do you have any final thoughts for CFOs who are trying to implement anything similar, uh, maybe even just formalizing some of these policies and processes in taking more of a leadership role, as you mentioned, that the modern CFO, their financial background is merely table stakes in being a front face and uh, leader in an organization. You know, just looking back on our experience, right, I think what really helped us as we were growing the team is is really, form- a lot of times culture is one of those things that people kind of know and understand. But I think for us, one of the turning points in terms of adding to the team is when we formally wrote it down, right? And it sounds like the simplest thing, um, but, you know, getting the right people together, formally writing it down and getting everyone behind it. And then for us, really leading with that in our interview process. But again, it's not that you know different cultures are, are better than others, right? It's more just being clear about what's important to you and, and what you want to be important for the people that that join your firm. I think has really helped us add some great teammates who sort of you know buy into that culture and have helped us grow and expand it. You know, I think just increasingly, you know, for modern CFO, really, it's thinking about all of the ways you can add value to the business over and above the, the financial component, right? It's it's one thing to know what the numbers are. It's another thing to be able to read into them and, you know, help the team, help the leadership team decide what to do about it. And I think that's sort of one of the things I, you know, I strive to do and, and hopefully have had some success doing and, and certainly one of the things that I think successful CFOs are, are able to do. That's amazing. And I'm really looking forward to, and for anyone who's listening, who's in the area, Dakota hosts a number of amazing meetups and events. And I know that that's expanding as well. Uh, Tim, is there anything right on the horizon that people should be aware of? And how do they get in contact with you or the Dakota team if they're interested in learning more about the marketplace? Sure. So dakota.com is our website. Um, We have a uh, a page on there for events that we're hosting. Um, actually, just renamed it this week called Dakota Cocktails. Uh, we actually just had a happy hour in Philly earlier this week, um, but we have them sort of in a number of locations, um, really around the country uh, periodically. Uh, so certainly, yes, if there's you know any interest in Dakota or any of it, any of the services that we offer, um, that's a great place to start. Um, also has contact information for not only myself. Um, but also a number of my teammates um, who can help um, really with any of the questions you may have about Dakota or the services we offer. Excellent. 
Well, Tim, thank you so much again for being on the Modern CFO podcast. I know we'll speak again very soon, but I hope you have a, a great weekend. And again, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to record today. Thank you, Andrew.